Got time for a quick story. Funky Town was one of the first hit songs I remember hearing on the radio. I was a two-year-old in the summer of 1980, and it was all over the radio. Yeah, I remember hearing songs on the radio at age two. You, you could be really young and, and remember stuff. And so pretty much for my entire life, I've heard Funky Town. And over time, I began to realize that the song was actually about a place not all that far from where I live in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. It's about the Twin Cities. It's about Minneapolis. And it's about Minneapolis not being a funky town. The story goes that Stephen P. Greenberg, writer of the song, the main person behind behind Lip Sync, did Funky Town, wanted to get somewhere else, wanted to go to New York, get out of Minneapolis, go to a place that was cool. It was had some more more of a beat to it, more of a vibe to it. A funky town. And so he wrote the song. And it ended up becoming a number one hit. It's become a classic over time. Well, now there is a Christmas version. Funky Town Christmas, an orchestration of Funky Town, mashed up with some familiar Christmas tunes. Uh, Stephen worked with Corey Wong, funk guitarist, to, to put this together First off, where did you get the idea to create this Christmas version? Well, the original idea wasn't really to do a Christmas version. The original idea was to do many versions of Funky Town um, for licensing and various other uses. So I started by putting together some of the best musicians I know to do versions a funky town for an album I call the Funky Town 15, which is 15 versions of Funky Town in different genres. There's reggae, jazz, there's klezmer, there's surf, there's metal. But it, it, uh, Christmas never occurred to me. So somebody, I don't remember who, said you should do a Christmas version. I said, that sounds impossible to me, so woof. So we figured it out. How did you come up with the particular songs to put in? Like, I hear Angels We Have Heard on High, and We've Been a While A-Wandering in there. How did you guys figure out what was most appropriate to match with the original song? Well, I called my friend Corey Wong, who um, had just... He and I had just produced an album by the Potash Twins, a duo that are on, uh, they do some food network stuff, and they also are a jazz duo that play uh, trumpet and trombone. So I asked Corey if he could do it, and he said he'll try to figure something out. So we worked a little bit on it, and I said, there's got to be a way to do it so that it sounds Christmassy. I mean, it's hard to make Punky Town into a Christmas song. So I looked up Christmas songs in the public domain. And what that means is those are songs that you do not have to pay royalties on that are in the public domain so they can you can use them anytime you want. And um, so then I, I threw that idea at Corey and he said, yeah, that's that's something I can work with. So then he put it all together. <laughs> the, 
you mentioned a little bit about Corey. What d- describe his background and 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 d- d- oh, his overall talents. Uh, Corey Wong is a very talented individual. He's a guitar player. He has his own band now. They're very successful, touring all over the place. But this was way before that. Um, I had just heard about him from some people in Minneapolis, how talented he was. And uh, so I called him and asked him if he would do this for me. He he can do all kinds of stuff. He, he did all the string arrangements and just he probably played everything on that on that record. So, <laughs> but he didn't actually got some uh, a string player, a horn player, and people to do parts for the Christmas version. And he really put together a beautiful version. I think it it's just very grand. It sounds nice and orchestral. And then you mentioned the other ones, the Funky Town 15. And listening to a few of those, you referred to those earlier on uh, at FunkyTown.com for, for licensing and such. Um, when What was the first point where you thought, man, this song is being requested so many times for licensings and syncs over, over the years? What was the, the, the very first impetus where you went, all right, I need to hit this, hit the studio. I need to make these arrangements here and put this up on the web so all of these options and all of these genres are available to anyone. Well, Luke, Funky Town was a hit in 1980. That's getting close to 40 years from now. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought of it a few years ago. So um, no particular reason other than I have a couple of children and I thought they might have fun licensing it when I'm when I'm no longer here and and you know doing these different versions. Um, it was just a fun project for a lot of cool musicians. My favorite is the a cappella version, which is um, done by a guy named Ed Boyer, who is an extremely talented vocal dude and uh he's worked on pitch perfect and that that's my uh, that's that leads off the album but there's some crazy versions of funky town on there that just uh just have just so much fun to to do i was watching an interview up on the web from 19 from the summer of 80 i presume on twin cities today uh, that that grainy clip, and you're on. You're at the piano in the studio, and you start playing the song, kind of building up from the bass line and getting into the chords and into the, and and how the song developed. So, what now, forty years on, what do you think in the structure of the song, in the composition, in the singing, the arrangement, whatever it is, what is the most critical element that has led to its longevity? Like, if you take this one part out, then it's just another song, another hit. What do you think? What What do you feel it is? That's a great question, Luke. Um, I've thought about that for many years. I've actually read several articles regarding that issue. And it's just hook after hook after hook after hook. It wasn't something I was meaning to do. It just happened to end up that way. And I think that it's it's repetitive and people love repetition in songs. And it just really, uh, to me, when I wrote it, it was just another song that I thought was 
pretty damn good, but I had no idea that 40 years later it would still be doing so well. It was just on the, on the Super Bowl last year, which was one of my uh, bucket list items, get on the Super Bowl in one of the ads. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just uh, hook, 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 hook. In fact, the part, the one that always sticks into my mind when the song gets stuck in my head, and of course lately it's been stuck in my head as I've been getting ready for the interview, it's actually kind of that cowbell sound. I, I, I don't know if that's real percussion, or I presume at the time with the technology it was, but it's that dun 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 that keeps flowing through even as the bass line changes, but it's it's this constant all throughout that cowbell line, and that's probably not even the, I mean, that's most people probably wouldn't think of that as the first thing, but yet that's another hook. And it's a percu- it's an ad- an additive percussion part in there. It's it's a good point. It seems like there's hooks all over that song. That is a great observation. Uh, the cow at the time technology wasn't wasn't there like it is now. We couldn't pick a sound from a bank of sounds on a synthesizer. We had to create all the sounds that we created. I worked um, with engineer David Z. And uh, at the time, synthesizer expert Roger Dumas out of Minneapolis. And we just sounded empty, a little bit empty. So I said, let me grab a couple of cowbells and see if I can put some 16th notes in there to fill up the, the space. So I just grabbed a couple of uh, cowbells from the Sound 80 box of percussion instruments, <laughs> put them on a piano bench and played them, and everyone was like, yeah, that sounds great, do that. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds, and it's, that, that's it. it. It sticks around there. It, what, it makes for a really great song that, as we talked about, 40 years on, has such, such a legacy what now? And I think, correct me if I'm wrong. It literally just celebrated its 40th anniversary of release because the Mouth to Mouth album came out what November of '79. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. I think I think it all came out in 1980 uh, January. I don't remember when the album or single came out, but I think the official single release was January 8, 1980. Okay, so we're we're essentially at we're right about at the birthday of of the of the single release. What was the first point in that run as as it gained popularity, went up, got to number one, and started to become part of pop culture over time? So not necessarily even that year, but when over the last forty years was the first time when you realized it might have such legs to it that it's going to have that it's going to be standing for decades on to the point where here we are in 2019 talking about licensing versions and having a, a, a Christmas version that's getting people's attention. Luke, I got to be honest with you. It never occurred to me and it still doesn't occur to me that this could happen to me. I mean, it's just, I have to pinch myself every time I hear it, every time I get a licensing deal, I have to go uh, personally approve all the licensing deals. And I have turned down hundreds of them because Funky Town's kind of my baby, and I want to protect it. And I won't let it be used in a derogatory or silly or stupid way. There's a couple licenses that I'm not, that, you know, I've approved that I wasn't real happy with, but usually they're pretty respectful. And um, 
one guy from some city in Florida offered me a whole lot of money to license it for a car dealership uh, for local ads. And I don't like um, local car dealership ads. They're kind of loud and noisy and cheap. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was really mad at me for not giving it to him. And he said something like, what will it take to get me to license it? And I said, uh, $5 million. And he hung up the phone. <laughs> I, I just wanted to get rid of him. I didn't actually mean for real, but I, I just wanted to, to, to get rid of the conversation. So I told him $5 million, and he hung up, and I never heard from him again. Huh. The story I often tell when I'm on, on the radio station here in Eau Claire, because it's, it's one of the – it's probably the most locally oriented song, not only from where it was written and recorded, but also – correct me if I'm wrong in this, but topically as well, being only an hour and a half west of Eau Claire and being in the Twin Cities. And I, uh, my understanding is the lyrics are about wanting to go to someplace more funky than the Twin Cities circa late 1970s. And, and before I go on with the question, am I correct on that? You are correct. And then right after, now, right after Stephen responded, as you just heard, unknowingly to me while I was engaging in the interview, the software that was recording the interview kind of went on the fritz and stopped recording. I didn't realize that that it had stopped recording until after the phone call was done, hang up the phone, save the file, and then eventually looked at the end and went, wait a minute, why why did it stop mid-conversation? Technology happens. Thankfully, though, I do remember what Stephen said next because I asked him... What would have happened if you had written Funky Town five years later, by which time the Twin Cities music scene drastically changed? Prince had become a superstar within those five years. The Minneapolis sound, which was really Prince's sound, but associated with the time and eventually Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, was nationally known. At the same time, there was an alternative music scene that was really building in the Twin Cities, the likes of The Replacements and Husker Du. And so I asked him, had he been at a point in his life where he decided to write a song like Funky Town, but had it been five years later, would he have still wanted to write that? Would he have had a reason to write Funky Town? Or would he have thought, you know what, the Twin Cities is funky enough, I don't really need to leave? And his answer was, probably would not have written the song. It was a circumstance of timing. He said that radio back in the time that he wrote it in the late 70s, the radio in the Twin Cities was kind of vanilla. But the overall music atmosphere in the Twin Cities then changed and changed. So it's a circumstance of timing that he wrote that song that ended up becoming so iconic in pop culture. So thanks to Stephen P. Greenberg for taking time to chat with us about Funky Town. You can hear the Christmas version and the other versions, the Funky Town 15, if you go to FunkyTown.com. That's FunkyTown.com. Well, thanks, as always, to my employer, Greatest Hits 98.1 Radio and Eau Claire, for providing the facilities to conduct these interviews. You can... Listen to Got Time for a Quick Story, of course, via Apple, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn. Subscribe if you so desire and rate this highly if you so desire. Got time for a quick story? I'm Luke Anthony.